This is an ABC podcast. Do you ever think that you were too tough on David? Um, I used to think he was too strict. I used to say he's only young. Just leave him. Let him be happy. But no, because, you know, if I told him how good he was, then he's got nothing to work at. On ABC Radio, Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Good morning. And that was from the Netflix documentary that everybody pretty much has been talking about, Beckham. But when David Beckham was asked how he coped with the abuse of his entire country after the 1998 Men's Football World Cup, this is what David Beckham had to say. I think I was able to handle being abused by the fans. I think I could handle it because of the way my dad had been to me. So his dad was strict, we saw that. But when is it too much? In society, we often see controlling or intense behaviour by parents as uh, something that's necessary for success of an athlete. But this isn't something that just happens within elite sport. Research that we're going to look into today shows that this is also happening within community and grassroots sport. So when is being pushy as a parent helpful? And when is it harmful? when you're trying to push a child into practice or participation in sport? Do some kids need to be pushed to reach their potential? And is it just simply a wrong and right way to do that? Or can it turn kids off sport and can it destroy family relationships? So do you think kids need to be pushed? And if so, the question is, when is it too far? Did your parent push you into sport? And now as an adult, how do you feel about that? And maybe if you think a child does need pushing into sport or practice, where and how do you draw the line on your behaviour? This is The Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Good morning. My name's Rochelle Hunt, your co-host this morning, ABC's Paul Kennedy, sports reporter and community sport and school coach, PK, for 21 years. You're the father of three sons. Yes. Are you a pushy parent when it comes to sport? Uh, it depends on my child, actually. <laughs> the, the three different boys have grown up in the same household. And I, I guess the, uh, the thing to say from the outset from my experience is that um, I'm a sporty guy, so I've, you know, I've really um, you know, spent my whole life in sports. So, yes, my kids have, have moved through sports and I've been learning on the job. You don't really know what you're doing. My experience when I was growing up was that my mother and father were very supportive and not pushy at all. Mm-hmm. And I saw that in other households, but my parents weren't. So, and I would I would say that I've enjoyed a long life in sport, uh, not at the top level at all, but a long life of enjoyment of sport because of the way my parents uh, encouraged me and and just sort of you know gave me opportunities to to enjoy that. Yeah, but. Um, with my boys, of course, you, you you parent slightly differently, and and I reckon with my first son, I when he first started, I was giving him too much instruction. I was trying to be really helpful. I didn't want to be overbearing, but I reckon I was. Yeah. And then fast forward, we've got a, our third child is eleven now, and I reckon I'm much better um, at it because I basically just watch, learn. I'm quite curious about the way he approaches it. And I just provide support. It's interesting in that 
when we talk about what is a pushy parent in sport and there's different reasons as to why a parent might want to push yeah. their kid into sport. It might be because you see huge potential and you think they've got the chance to make it to be one of the best yeah. to potentially play professionally, but that takes hard work. And yeah. we sort of see that as almost a rite of passage that the parent has to be the one out there like Beckham's dad or, yep. you know, Serena and, and um, Venus's dad that they're out there pushing you. But then you might be the parent where you feel like, and I have a bit of this actually, mm. where my child would just sit on the couch yeah. if I didn't push her to get up and to do something. So there's pushy to participate yeah. and then there's pushy to be the best. Is there a difference? Well, I think pushy to participate is you as an adult understanding more than your child at that, at that stage. You see your child being inactive and you say, what can I do to get them active? Because, um, and this is different to when we were kids because we didn't have mobile phones, yeah. we weren't sitting on YouTube um, and all the other, the other um, you know, st- streaming services or, or social media. So it's a new area and we're, we're learning as parents. But you know when your child is being too inactive and that's, the stakes are really high here. You look at the obesity that we have in this country, you look at the, the rising mental health cost of, um, of, of living in that space and just sitting and, and consuming stuff on a screen. Um, so, yeah, it's, I, th- I think you'd be um, neglectful as a parent if you didn't look for opportunities to get your kids active and moving. We know how, how good it is physically and emotionally. But the other part of it has sprung really since the 1990s. So I'll give you a short history of, <laughs> of this. Of pushy parents. <laughs> it, yeah, well, there's always, been, there's always been pushy parents. But in the 1990s, sport went professional. And then so uh, in the last 30 or so years, you've got so many different pathways. You've got so many different people leaping in and going, your child is talented. They need to do this to be a champion. And there's a whole industry of how to be a champion. Um, So some people would say, well, that worked for David Beckham. He needed to be pushed. And I would say, well, I've just um, finished a documentary examining Sachin Tendulkar and Donald Bradman. So Bradman, okay, you know, the, the number one of all time, perhaps in Australia, grew up in a house where his sisters played the piano. Um, he had parents who just supported him. He had this inner drive. Um, a little, and Tendulkar the same. A little bit like Kathy Freeman. Kathy Freeman, 10 years old, she writes a note to herself on the wall, I am, right. I am the greatest runner in the world. I'm, I'm, I always mess it up, but that's what she wrote to herself as a 10-year-old. Now, she had that fire, that special drive, and it doesn't matter whether it's sport, music, anything. If, if you've got a child who, who's got that drive, they just need support. They don't need to be pushed as hard. Mm. Um, so I think it's, it's understanding the, the child and what they respond well to. But if you do get it wrong and you consistently get it wrong and you push too hard for too long, then you're in danger of, you know, how many – we know Beckham's result – how many kids have been pushed to the brink and to anxiety and stress because it's too relentless and they can't handle that pressure? Beckham could handle it. We don't know how many. There's no yeah. stats for how many how many kids have either left sport or actually ended up with a with a harmful relationship with their parents. Do you feel like you need to push your child into sport? Do you know how to do that? Maybe you feel like you're too pushy, or maybe you had a pushy parent as a child. Looking back on that now. Like David Beckham, do you think that that was something that worked for you or didn't work for you? On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. It was just a pleasure watching him play. 
and he loved it he enjoyed it i was more scared when he was there because i knew that if i put a foot wrong he'd tell me and he'd always tell me always Good morning, Rochelle Hunt and Paul Kennedy with you this morning as we look at how far is too far to push your kid into sport. Do you think maybe you're a pushy parent or maybe your child participates in a sport and you see other parents on the sideline? Steve's called us from Janjuk. Morning, Steve. What do you reckon? Should you be pushing your kids into sport? Well, I don't think it's a, it's not so much. It is not the pushing into sport. I mean, as a role of parents, it's your job to mould. They don't know any different in life. So you're trying to mould them into things. So if you push them into sport then it's about they're learning how to work in teams. They're learning how far they can push themselves mentally, physically, a bit of a metaphor for life. So you don't know they make friends. So it's more it's more than just playing the game. When is it too far? If they really hate it, Steve, how far do you push them? Um, well, I've got three sons and we were heavily involved in life-saving and each one of them was very different. The middle one was a classic middle child. So... When he got to, like, 15 or something, I said, that's fine, mate. You don't have to compete anymore, but you've still got to come to training to be part of part of the group so you don't lose contact with your mates and keep fit. And, Steve, did you see other parents who, who you know, pushed a little bit too hard in your mind? And, and, and oh, how, yeah, did, mate, how did that a, work? Um, yeah, not well for a few kids. There's a lot out there that all wanted their kids to be the new Candace Warner and uh, Kai Hurst. Yeah. But... Um, yeah, it didn't work well for a lot of kids. A lot of kids bailed at, you know, at 14 or 15. Yeah, you never saw them again. Gosh, and that's the last thing you want, Steve. Thank you. Our number's 1300-222-774. Do you think kids need to be pushed into sport? And if so, how do you go about it? That's the worry, PK, isn't it? Is that, like Steve just said, they got pushed a bit hard and then we never saw them again. Yeah, they give up and, um, you know... If- in fact, parents can learn on the way. I've, I've seen really pushy parents in those early years and then they get it, the penny drops, 12, 13, 14. Ah, yeah, so my child isn't going to be the next, um, you know, Brownlow medalist or, or, or whatever. Uh, and then they adapt and support their kids in a different way. Um, ultimately, that's that's the good way to do it. It's it's the, the, the parents that get a bit blinkered. And, yes, I, I agree with what we heard from Beckham's dad. It's so great to watch your kid. And if they've got some talent, it's it's quite a thrill to watch that. And then you think, oh, what's the, the possibilities here are endless. But, um, you know, the starting point should probably be that it's very rare for uh, a child to go from talented youngster to professional athlete. Mm. Yes, it's possible and sh- you should never put any limits on your on your children's ability to, to achieve their dreams. Um, but also maybe just check yourself along the way and, and, and say, well, are they enjoying it? That's the, yeah. that's a great starting point. Oh, this text that says it actually hasn't worked out for Beck and it showed up with his obsessive compulsive disorder. You saw that with his cleaning ritual. It doesn't just necessarily happen at an elite level, whether we're talking about the Williams sisters or we're talking about David Beckham. Research is now showing that it's happening within community sport. Dr Mary Wessner is a researcher and lecturer at Victoria University within the Institute for Health and Sport. Mary, a warm welcome to the Conversation Hour. You've been researching researching parent behaviour in community sport. What did you discover? Are we pushing our kids too hard? Yeah, thank you first for having me on and being able to discuss this important topic. Uh, Our research is actually really focused on the experiences of children and experiences of abuse from multiple different people. So whether it's from peers, parents or coaches. And what we found was that 
uh, at least in our survey, 82% of the respondents had experienced some form of abuse during childhood community sport participation in Australia. And in terms of parents, the numbers were also quite high, with one in three having experienced abuse from a parent. The language that it uses is super interesting there too, because we're we're saying pushy parents. I guess we're probably trying to go easy on, on on the parents, but um, you use the word abuse, and um, where do we draw that line? Yeah, yeah. Like in other contexts, I think it becomes quite clear for people. So, for instance, in sport, it could manifest itself as a coach or a parent throwing um, an item, uh, so a hockey stick, a tennis racket, a water bottle towards a kid. In any other context, that would be viewed as abuse. Mm. If a teacher were to throw a book at a kid in a school, everyone would be up in arms. But in sport, we don't necessarily call that as abuse. That might just be trying to fire them up. So I think sometimes we know what the line is if we take a look at it from another lens in another context. But in sport, it's really quite messy. Is that not changing, though? But you're so right, is that it's almost expected. You know, if you want your child to be really good or really successful within a particular sport, then it's your job as the parent or as the carer to push them as hard as you can and to maybe make them do things that they don't want to do. But as a society, is that attitude not changing at all, Mary? Well, it's hard to say whether attitudes are changing um, just because we haven't really been measuring this over time. What I will say is I often ask people to think about watching comedy shows that came out 20 years ago with today's eyes. And when we watch those shows, maybe now we cringe a little bit. But back then, it was just funny. But the jokes they made with today's eyes are not so acceptable. And I think sport is a little bit like that. We used to accept these behaviors, and maybe now we're starting on that journey of realizing, actually, there are long-term consequences to this. And I think your society question is really important. Because there's no evidence that these types of behaviors improve sport performance for anyone across the sporting spectrum. And yet we tend to accept it or say that it's necessary. But even if it was successful, even if it did help performance, should we want that as a society, Mm -hmm. knowing the mental health consequences? And and Mary, I think Rochelle uh, touched on it earlier because we know that... um you know, there's probably some people listening to, to this, and I've always had this pushback when I when I talk about you know having good environments in sport. People say, "No, you need to be tougher on kids because they're not resilient mm-hmm. these days." And there's always a criticism yeah. of children to being, you know, so called soft. Yep. yep, and that's 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 still um, you know how pe- how people view this issue. What 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 would you say to those people that that are pushing back and saying, "No, we need to make our kids tougher, mentally tougher." When we look at what sport provides in the best scenarios, we know that it can provide long-term mental health um, improvements. It can provide a social environment. Kids can learn new skills. When we ask kids what they want from sport, it mostly centers around enjoyment, learning new skills, and making friends. So the competition element really isn't there for them. It's somewhere in the spectrum, and for boys it tends to be ranked a little bit higher than girls, but that's what they're wanting from sport. So all the other things that we're imposing because of historical tendencies of sport to be competitive in nature are actually what we see is driving kids out of sport at 14, 15. So as parents, ideally, we're wanting them to participate in sport for all the good things that it brings, which means it's our responsibility to ensure that environment is safe so that they stay in sport. We don't want kids yeah. dropping out at 13 and 14 and 15. Oh, no, there's a, a message here that says, I hate watching my daughter and her under-12s basketball games. The yelling and the well-meaning criticism mm-hmm. coming from the sidelines to the kids just makes me sick. Dr Mary Westner is with you, researcher and lecturer at Victoria University that's looked into pushy parents at a community level. But let's have a chat with Michael, who's called from Ocean Grove. Uh, sorry, from Thornbury. Morning, Michael. Yes, um, good morning. Um, yeah, like... 
I, I was I grew up playing tennis and I was never particularly good at it. And then when my daughter came along, um, I got her playing from a really young age, and I probably became a bit of that ugly parent sort of from, st- uh, from the start. And it was then interesting. My daughter turned around to me at the end of primary school and said, "Dad, tennis sucks. I want to play basketball." <laughs> and so. And it was good, actually. To me, at the time, it was really hard, but it was a really good thing because she got me into a sport that I knew nothing about and then had to take a bit more of a back seat. And I actually could see that transition, the importance of just getting her to play something that she loved and was was passionate about. And it's been an interesting transition because then over time, I became a coach because no one else would coach (laughs) at basketball. And it really gave me a different perspective from tennis in terms of learning uh, the importance of player development and about enjoyment, being happy, and in particular in girls uh, basketball, working with them to develop their confidence as individuals. And obviously, it's a really good skill learning both on the court and off the court. So that, I that's, think that's really good of you, Michael. How, how were you ugly at the beginning? Mm-hmm. For people that don't know what that looks like, you say you're an ugly parent. What's, what does it look like? It was probably like just really intense, really focused on the outcome. And I really focused on pushing my daughter to perform well. And not, I, I never got really, really aggro with her or anything like that, but mm-hmm. just, just really focused on the outcome rather than focused on, on the journey. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. Rather than yeah. focused on where where are they at and how can I support them? So when she went into basketball, and then the funny thing is this this year she changed over to football, playing mm. AFL. And I, so we learned from it. It's, we've just got to be there and support her and let her do let her do the journey. How, and how old's your daughter now? She's seventeen. What's what's so. her relationship with sport and and dare I ask with you as a sporting parent? <laughs> Um, at times it can be a bit tense, I must admit, in terms of, like, in terms of just as any teenager wanting to have that space from the parents and whereas I've got involved in helping, so it's sort of, it can be a bit tense. But I think the critical thing to me is, in particular, I think I see in the girls, the issue of the big dropout race in terms of around that 14, 15 yeah. sort of age. So the question is, how do we, how do we keep them participating in terms of to see those benefits, to make it enjoying, to make it, yes, it's good to have that win, but at the same time, it's a great atmosphere just to um, just to be part of a team, to be part of a group and just to enjoy the experience. I think it's, yeah, how do we get them to con- continue staying in wow. contact with sport, isn't it? You've had an it? epiphany, Michael, haven't you? you sort of gone from one extreme almost to the other. I, I think that's incredible. And not only does it keep your relationship with your daughter healthy, but it keeps her relationship with sport healthy. Before we go back to Mary, I want to have a chat with Wayne, who's in Sea Spray. Morning, Wayne. A few people have been saying this is parents just trying to live their failed life through their kids. Is that something that you would agree with? Yeah, I tend to I tend to agree. Good morning, sorry. I tend to agree with that a little bit. I sort of went through that phase myself with my two boys. They both um, played basketball when we lived up in Darwin, and I would I don't say I don't know if it was pushing, but I'd say certainly encouraging them so strongly to work harder and so forth. But it was when we moved to northern New South Wales, and my young my young fellow who was would have been about fourteen or fifteen then, he turned around to us and said, oh, "I want to try out for a, a local." rep side and my wife was like where's this come from you know if you never want to do that before and 
and she said she all all she could think about was the travel. And I suppose, I suppose it's when I had this the light bulb came off with me and thinking, well, this is something he's instigated now. So we just took a step back. I took him to the trials, and as it turned out, he got selected. And just that change in environment, and and I suppose us being a little bit um, not standoffish, but more encouraging than pushy, if you want to use that word. Mm. He just blossomed as a player, where he became, you know, quite a quite a great basketball player. And in in hindsight, if you look back, if he had the, the drive and the motivation, he could have really gone somewhere with it. So, I think sometimes as parents, we we've had that career, and we sort of when maybe we missed out on something or so forth, and we try and do that with our children. I think we can we know a little bit better, but I think times have changed, and kids have changed as well. You know, and and. To the extent when we moved to Sea Spray, he wanted to stay up in northern New South Wales because of the connections and the friends that he met through mm. through sport and through school as well. So yeah, yeah, Michelle, I think uh, Wayne makes a great point there too about some um, handing over at some point because uh, you you might be pushing your child. Okay, you think you're 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 in in charge of their destiny, you, you know, and you're uh, you're doing the right thing. But do you have the skills, the, the, the skills to understand how your child um, gets the best result? You know, maybe you don't have the skills. So at some point you look for a role model. It might be the representative coach. Great. If, if you can hand over to them. Then, you know, go and buy yourself a coffee, sit back, <laughs> watch. Yes, and, and, and enjoy. And it's just as enjoyable watching your child learn from someone else. And, and those skills that coaches have – you know, if you get a really good coach, that's that's the big difference. They know when to push, when not to push. And just finally, Dr. Mary Westner has been with you, researcher and lecturer at Victoria University. Just finally, Mary, with the research that you've done, it's, you know, I guess, is there a fine line between pushing and encouraging and doing something that is harmful? I think in sport practice, Probably, yes, the line is quite gray because we're just not talking about how much we normalize these behaviors and we use words to kind of cover up what they would be in any other context. Um, I think when you're talking about overly criticizing, focused on performance outcomes, as the callers have said, and when we see these people sort of break through and be resilient, as it's often quoted around Beckham, we have to think about what were the costs that he suffered and did he need to have that to get to where he was? And to the point of the last caller, would he have actually been even more successful if he had that supportive environment around him to achieve his absolute best? And was it worth it what he went through to get all the way to the top? Do we want that for our kids? Do we want that to be the burden that they have to bear to get up there? So I think these types of conversations that we're having right now actually help to unblur that line. Because we need to talk about it. We all feel a bit uncomfortable when we see yeah. the things, but why aren't we saying that? Well, it's uncomfortable because we're questioning our own behaviour and we're maybe questioning yeah. our parents' behaviour as well. It's important research, Mary. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you very much. Dr. Mary Westner, they're a researcher and lecturer at VUT with the Institute for Health and Sport, looking into the fact that pushing too far doesn't just happen at an elite level. It's happening at a community level. And it is uncomfortable, PK, to start to, like we heard from our previous caller, to actually look in the mirror and really look yeah. at your own behaviour and think, am I doing this for me mm. or am I doing this for my child? How much am I playing out my own childhood or my own issues with my own parents? Yeah. It's a bit of a therapy session. I, I think it's good. It's really helpful. You've got to, um, you know, and there's discussions like this are really good. Um, there's so much out there that you can take in as information. Am I approaching this the right way? There's a big discussion around the 
um, the trip home. You know, so everyone who's got a <laughs> got a sporting child understands that the drive home from the the game that did not go well, or indeed, you know, the game that went well. What's happening in there? Because I love the trip home conversation. Oh, I reckon you'd be really good at it. Well, because it's great to pull it apart, even when you think you've had a shocker, yeah, right? Yeah. To find the good that's in there, yeah. and then there's a skill too, as a parent on the way home, on the mm. drive home, that can seem really long sometimes. Sometimes the silence can can be helpful. Sometimes, well, sometimes it can be crushing. Silence is good though, is it? And yeah, yeah when do you shut yeah. up? When do you not try and make it okay? And my, and my tip there is ask your child. Do you want me to give you some feedback now? And and the the ones who are super competitive, I find, will say, "Yeah, I I want you to tell me how I went." Um, but they might be raised. My, my boys again, they're all raised under the one roof. They're all different in that in that yeah. um, conversation. Or do you want to talk about it? Do you do even you want, want to talk, talk about, about the yeah. game? Yeah, and they'll say no. I Kids know, will tell you problem, if they don't right? want to. <laughs> But that's the problem is sometimes they'll say no no matter what because they yeah. might be a little bit scared and it might be a confronting conversation. So then it's. Picking the time, reading the room. And then, then there's Beckham's dad who goes, um, I don't want to praise him too much, you know, because, well, well that's, that's, a, then, that's, that's a good discussion. That because is a good discussion. Pr- yeah. Praise is, is different to affirmation, which is that emotional support and, and sitting back and asking questions. Um, you don't have to heap praise all the time. You can have that sort of different affirmation if your child um, is, is responding what are that and it was really you know some some children do have a big future in sport and so everyone's different and that's right and you can't always tell them that they were great if every situation wasn't great I'll never forget a million mm. years ago watching of all things Australian Idol and Dicko once said to someone who clearly couldn't sing yeah. said I don't know what your parents have told you <laughs> and whether or not that's the reason why you're up there so you know a part of I don't know how honest are you Someone, um, who, some, hey, someone will give you some feedback at some stage. Well, that's so. right. Is it better off coming from your parents? <laughs> life, life, life will catch up with you. Yeah, that's 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 why I don't think you should criticise too much. This is the conversation hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Yes, I was old, but it turned out I think to be the right thing. Yes, I was hard, but it turned out, I think, to be the right thing. That's David Beckham's dad there, which has inspired today's conversation. How hard do you push your kid to get into sport, whether it be to participate or if you think that they've got potential to be the best, to be great at their sport? When is too far? Rochelle Hunt and Paul Kennedy with you. Our number's 1300 Nathan Burke, of course, you would know him here from ABC Sport. He's a part of the ABC Sports commentary team and, of course, a single Kilda legend. Nathan, when is too far to push, right? Were you pushed as a, as a kid or did you just want to stay out there and, and kick the footy all night long? Hey, yeah, good, good morning, guys. Uh, thanks for ha- having me on. Um, look, I, I was one of those sports families. I grew up with three older sisters and uh, if we weren't at the netball or the basketball courts, we were at the football or something else and my dad was coaching local football. So that was our life and so I pretty much had a, a ball of different sorts in my hand at each time but I honestly can't say that I was pushed to do anything at all we wanted to do everything and if anything my fair parents were sort of saying hey you know, slow down son you probably can't play every single sport at uh, every single time so no I don't think I was pushed but um, certainly having three daughters of my own and uh, observing their sporting careers on the, the way through to this point, uh, 
uh, I can see the damage that uh, that sort of parenting does. We want to pick up on on your coaching and and your experience mm-hmm. since uh, Nathan, but just um, just to let everyone know, you are one of one of the all time greats of the St Kilda Footy Club, and um, and that came you've had that supportive background. What does it feel like to be a child who just has that inner determination that, that mm-hmm. you that you had? Um, and didn't need to be pushed, but there's just something inside you that made you want to excel. What's it feel like? Um, it's a difficult question, that one. Mm. Um, it probably comes from, uh, I, I think, of, of my my father, who was a, a local football coach down there in Frankston, mm. um, and just some of the lessons that, that came through and uh, the, the lessons of, well, if, if you are playing a team sport, you, you owe it to your team and your teammates to, to give you all. Yeah. Um, and that was like the, the number one mantra that came through and then probably closely followed was that the thing that he valued most in, in a player was not the, the superstar, it was the consistent player, the one who was able to give the same effort week after week after week and probably just those two things of giving your best, giving your effort to the team, uh, probably that was the thing that sunk in rather than, hey, you've got to be the Mm -hmm. best and, hey, you've got to improve your skills and, hey, you've got to do this. And uh, now that, you know, you you sort of asked that question, I reckon that's probably the ethos that he had around effort was uh, something that that probably by osmosis sunk in. Lots of people have been talking about the fact that pushy parents, it's them trying to live out their lives or their own failed sporting achievements or opportunities. They're trying to live that through their kids. How do you then manage after having such a a successful career and now going on to coach yourself and, and being a dad? How do you take what you've learned and what you know and the skills that you have, but then at the same time not be like, well, here's how I did it and here's how you should do it and here's how much I practice, so this is how much you should practice? How do you not blur those lines, Nathan? Um, yeah, it, I probably did make a lot of mistakes early on and uh, when I look back at, at my parenting and I heard you talking about the, the ride home in the car and certainly they were frosty at times <laughs> and uh, I made some, you know, made some mistakes about, you know, n- not pushing them out there to, to train and, and getting them out there at dark, you know, bouncing a soccer ball on their head and all that sort of stuff. Didn't go that far, but probably putting too much pressure on them to each game had to be a little bit better than the last one and then a little bit better than the last one. And that's just not realistic in any form of sport at all. And so it was probably that, that self-awareness that, that kicked in at some stage. And um, it probably came down when I was at a, a coaching course and we were talking about fun and um, they encouraged us to go home and ask our kids, what, what is fun? And because we all say, yeah, I want you to have fun. I want you to have fun. But what actually is fun? And uh, at the time I had three daughters and they were playing in three different teams and it was a logistical nightmare every weekend to try and go, okay, you've got to be at that ground and you've got to be at that one and I'll pick you up from that (laughs) one and I'll get you there right before the game starts and and you run in. And 
Um, they virtually said, well, fun is when we get to the game early and we get to probably hang around with the, the kids that we only see training. We don't go to school with them, but they're our friends and we get to muck around and have fun before we start our warm-up. And then afterwards we get to have a, a can of Coke and a hot dog and we don't have to jump in the car and rush off. And it was just sort of like an epiphany for my wife and I. We were going, we're, we're actually, by this logistical nightmare, we're depriving them of what is actually fun mm. in terms of their sport. And so we had to sort of make our our changes then. And uh, it meant that, you know what, we probably might not have got to see every kid play every single weekend, but they got to do before and after the game with their friends. And that was more important. So um, it's a really important question, that one, yeah. to ask what is fun. And then as, as a parent, yeah, you know, that's your job to foster that. And Nathan, uh, you can answer this one as a as a coach or as a parent. Mm-hmm. What about the way you approach a child that, that you recognise had that drive that you had when you were a kid, or or that you know because you do coach kids that you go, wow, they they've got something, they've got something and they are driven and they they need a bit extra. Um, how do you approach that child? At, 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 and I'm not talking 10, I'm, I'm talking yep. 14, 15, 16 when they start to really emerge from the pack. Yeah, um, we, we keep things in perspective. Mm. Uh, and again, early on, I, I was hearing you talk about um, you know, praising and, and it's, it's a term I've, I've written in my book around praising appropriately yeah. and uh, understanding that, uh, yeah, you, you are probably a cut above the other kids. You, you are, a, you know, a, a standard above. That doesn't mean that you're not going to have bad games, that mm. you're not going to make mistakes, that you're not going to, you know, need to be improving. And when they do have those games, it's okay to say, hey, you know what, today wasn't one of your, your good ones. You look mm-hmm. like you lacked energy. Uh, why? Have you been studying late at night? Have you been skipping breakfast again in the morning? Did you drink any water before the game? So come up with solutions yeah. For, yeah. for those sort of kids rather than just purely and simply, hey, you've got to be the best because you are the best. Nathan Burke, you were and still are one of the best. Thanks so much for speaking <laughs> with us today. We appreciate it. Nathan Burke, of course, St Kilda legend, a part of our very own ABC sports commentary team. So many texts on this, so apologies if we don't get to read them all out. But here's just a few. This is from a proud nonna that says, as a parent, I raised two elite basketballers. As a grandparent, I watched my six-year-old grandson play his first game on Saturday. It's all about him having fun, and I'm just so proud of my little boy. And others referring back to, PK, what you were talking about, saying you've actually got to recognise the individuals and approach every kid Mm. differently. And I know last time... On this very program, you were a part of uh, our team when we spoke about how to be a good coach. And I all take away from that, that idea of, and it was amazing, we spoke to Emma, our mindset coach on the day, she said, every kid needs to hear their name at least once within the game. And I've taken that away. Like when I'm at my daughter's basketball game now, even if you're just on the sidelines going, you know, that was great, Emma. Amazing, Chloe, what you're doing. I love that idea of making sure that every kid hears their name and in a positive way. Well, they're, they're, they're people and it doesn't matter whether it's sport or any other part of, of, of life. If um, if someone smiles at you, uses your name, it makes you feel, feel good. good. Um, kids, even if they're, even if, you know, they, they appear to be on top of it all, what they really want is people to see them and hear them. So, um, yeah, that's great in that sporting context. And for all those parents out there that are wrestling with this topic, 
um, you know, you can hear, hear Nathan Burke, one of the one of the champions, the Hall of Famers, who understands that he didn't quite have it right as a parent at the start, and was able to learn along the way. That that's a great message for me. Deb's in Hawthorne. Morning, Deb. Good morning, Rochelle. Good morning, Paul. What did you want to say? Uh, This is a story that's uh, a horrible story, but I think it had a great uh, learning outcome for our school community and our kids and our parents. So what it was, about 10 years ago, I was teaching at a big boys' school, I won't name it, um, in the eastern suburbs. Our year eight uh, footy boys went down to play another big boys' school and the game was going quite well. Our, our coach is a lovely man. He coached at, is it TFC level or TF, you know, the, the before AFL for boys Yes, level. yeah, the, the under-18 um, competition, which, which looks for players to draft, yeah. Exactly, Paul, yeah. So he's a very experienced man and a very well-loved man. Mm. Anyway, so the game took off and there was a very ugly father from the other side standing on the sidelines. Um, every time our boy up forward went for a mark, something abusive was yelled out to his son, whatever. So we were in front at the end of the first quarter. Our coach spoke to our kids. Uh, at halftime, we're still in front, we're still going on. Yeah. Just after halftime, um, our boy went up and took a big mark. And this man yelled out, I won't say exactly, but basically, why don't you break his effing arm? Mm. At which point, you know, there's quite a bit of silence, but our coach, game, called in our boys, and he said, this is not acceptable. doesn't fit with our values. We're in front, but we're going to lose this game. But we're going to walk off with our heads held high, and I want you to walk off with me. And he walked off to applause. And that was it. We lost the game, but we learnt a lot mm. from it. And our parents were very supportive. And I think there were further investigation, you know. Yeah. But we were told that at a staff meeting and we were just so proud. And there were no moans or recriminations from our kids or our parents. But it was Sounds a like you've got a really moment. healthy, your side, you know, you've got a really healthy relationship with the other parents as well. And it's so uncomfortable to watch and to to listen and you would experience that yourself pk where you have parents on the sideline yeah. where you just like pull it back like what making everyone uncomfortable not just the kids they mightn't even hear it out yeah. there right but it might stop other parents from wanting to go and participate and get involved with that club. Ch- chances are if you've been in sport, you've seen this happen and, and it's perhaps uh, one for a longer discussion about how to handle that as a coach, a club, uh, overall how to ha- handle that really abusive parent because, uh, you know, there are strategies you can use to mm. to stop that happening in the future and, um, yeah, unfortunately it does go on and, and there's a lot of pressure around those um, those school matches, I can tell you, I've, I've coached in that environment. So, so yep, you've got to have strategies ready Ready to uh, to deal with that. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Good morning, Rochelle Hunt here with you, your co-host this morning, Paul Kennedy, of course, ABC Sports reporter, and has been a coach himself at both the community and school level for 21 years and the dad of three sons. I make you sound really old, PK, when I put it out like that. <laughs> I, I, I am old, and, and the way you describe it, I definitely have indoctrinated my sons into the sporting life. 
too bad if they wanted to do something else. Absolutely. Sarah Lowe is the CEO of Softball Australia. She's also the former CEO of the South Metro Junior Football League. And Sarah, you've been listening to this program and you've been a huge part of the conversation now as commentary team when it comes to looking at grassroots sport and what works and what doesn't. How important is, is the role of a parent and knowing when is too far, when is just pushing too far? Oh, thank you, Rochelle. Yeah, coaches versus parents. I think that role is really important. So I think I wouldn't mind starting on coaches. Um, and if we lean a bit to the AFL, the, the, the program is excellent. To become a coach, you've got to do this online course and you've got to be face-to-face. They document their philosophy on what it's on how they want to coach. They even video themselves to, to pick up on whether they're being a bit too harsh or, or anything else or whether they're being encouraging enough. And I, I just reflected on this whole entire session today about that we don't provide that type of investment or, or education into parents. The parents are coming into sport very, very fresh here. So they don't have that knowledge. And, and I think that's where the expectation of what they have on their kids is very, very different to the coach. Well, what about those those, those younger um, kids that we talk about, the mm. 10, 11, 12? Oh. Uh, and I'm not sure whether it had much to do with basketball, Sarah, but this is this is in <laughs> overdrive with the representative basketball where parents turn up to this and the coaches may not be at the level that you expect from a representative because, you know, they just need coaches and, and people yeah, put their the hand parents. up. Yeah, parents, yeah. Yeah, it's very, it's very similar to the AFL. And I know basketball is a little bit different because the rep start so early versus in the AFL. So, uh, yeah, look, they definitely, uh, you know, need to have that that mental attitude of, of why kids play sport. And I've been listening again what you've all been saying and the reason why participation is dropping is that it's that fun, it's the attitude, the connection and the friendship and belonging. That's what the kids want to do. They want to feel like they've um, actually contributed and, and this is where parents need to have that mindset and understand that their language and their behaviour is actually impacting um, their kids' fun. So if you're a coach at a community grassroots level and you witness maybe there's one or two parents that just do push it too far, it's making people feel uncomfortable, whether it be the kids or, or the other parents, how do you then deal with that, right? Because that's tricky. And again, as PK was just saying, sometimes these are just parents that are throwing their hands up to, to coach and to do the right thing and to make sure that everybody's participating. We're not, you're not necessarily skilled in, in conflict resolution and, and how to, you know, dial things down a little bit. So how do you manage something like this? Oh, it's probably the single-handed most challenging thing to do. And there's a lot of, I know a lot of sport have the uh, the coach education and trying to change the parent attitude. And I think it was early this year, could have been the Yarra Junior Football League where they were having the, you know, the no spectators. That That's how extreme it got with the uh, abuse and the yelling uh, that was coming from the sidelines. And, and I've seen many a times at many football matches where a parent tries to do the right thing and say, hey, hey buddy, maybe... Um, tone it down a little bit and there starts the fight mm, and the battle. That's a risk, it, yeah. Oh, my goodness. I've had, we had a text say that well, I nearly had an assault charge put up against mm. me because I tried to settle oh. something down. Correct. It's it's getting out of control. So this is why that particular football league had to take extreme measures. And, again, I'd love for that league to call up and let us know how that went this year. But, uh, you know, this uh, it, it rolls onto the playing field and the kids hear everything. The umpires hear everything. And you know, you know what's... 
You know what's driving this, Sarah? Um, you, you might have the same experience, but um, I've heard it said before by experts in this field, parents compare, kids compete. So a lot of this angst is coming from, is my child better than that child? And you, you're sort of getting caught up with this measuring of, of children that are way too young to tell with, you know, who's, who's going to be the better athlete. They're just... Oh. They're, they're children, they're not athletes at that point. Sarah, thanks so much for your time. We appreciate it, as always. Sarah Lowe, the CEO of Softball Australia. And it's not just, I mean, Sarah was talking there even about umpires, but if you make references to basketball, the umpires are kids, right? And they're mm. learning as well. Oh, yeah. So then if parents are getting too, if they're so obsessed and they're being pushy about their child, they're generally making references to decisions that are being made <laughs> by umpires who are just kids themselves, who are just learning as well. So there's another kind of bruised young person out there that's questioning what they're doing and everything about it just feels yucky. But then on the flip side, PK, there's a text here that says, I've actually noticed at the end of my kids playing basketball, parents are just looking at their phones and never at their kids. <laughs> it, actually, <laughs> it actually broke my heart for some of them. They looked over to see if their parents saw them score a goal and their parents are on the phone. There is a middle ground. You've got to pay attention. (laughs) Actually get off Instagram. (laughs) Good good time to engage. That tension that if you're a parent that's really wanting your kid to succeed and to be great and you know that you're maybe pushing them to get out there to practice, to go above and beyond, I wonder what pressure that puts on to the family life and to the other partner if there's another partner say to the to the other mum or dad or whoever it may be to the other siblings and whether that causes tension within the family Maggie Dante is a parenting author and educator and of course the host of the ABC award-winning podcast parental as anything Maggie when it comes to parents and sport does it cause friction does it cause a lot of disruption within our family units <laughs> yeah. Oh, look, thank you for this conversation. Um, not only am I kind of a really diehard old uh, basketball coach of many years, coached all my boys. So that whole shift around the competitive nature, comparing our families and our kids, partly through that Insta world, has just put so much pressure on parents that wasn't there when I was raising my boys. So let's just recognise it's very different with a digital space. And secondly, absolutely, you know, like our kids are really hungry uh, for well, what we call, they're hungry for connection from parents. But one of the ways that a lot of kids feel the only time I get connection is when I do good, whether it's, you know, grades, and that's why I'm not very happy about napalm. Oh, sorry, it's NAPLAN. Um, uh, and also that, so we're always testing to show how they are, but we're forgetting that there's a child in amongst that who's just wanting to be a kid. And so when we put them into these spaces, Um, And I do hear from parents a lot with broken hearts because, you know, what happened at the netball or the basketball or the football on the weekend has meant the kids, that's it, I'm not doing it again. Or they've decided that mum and dad can't love them because I didn't kick that goal. So it absolutely breaks our kids' hearts. Um, And then you've got two different ways of it coming out because, you know, generally most girls would express it um, <laughs> quite through their big emotional worlds and words and boys will just often get angry and often that will come out somewhere else down the track, maybe at school the next day. So it does impact our kids and it does impact our families. Can, can it be a, a long-lasting impact? Can there be some real damage there between um, children yep. and, their, and their parents as they move into adulthood themselves? 
Oh, I think we, we all scar our kids, let's be honest. We all muck up. Yep. I, um, you know, I wouldn't put that as just one of the things. Like at the end of the day, <laughs> oh gosh, you know, I'm a nanny and I'm still mucking up. Um, yes, it can. And I think when I was doing research for girlhood where I was trying to understand the role that us, uh, you know, encouraging our girls to, you know, be as healthy and fit and whatever it is that they're good at, where I came across um, some studies in America where little girls who began like, dance or athletics, um, who were really quite naturally quite good, but it became an obsession as they got to, you know, 12, mm. and it became incredibly unhealthy, that by then it's not the parent driving it, it's become an obsession within the child because of a story the child's telling themselves. And mm. so again, it can play out later in the adolescent years, even though it might not look a bigger thing as they're underneath you know, those years. It's so interesting, Maggie Dent, PK and I were talking off air about the fact is that as, and I'm so glad that you said, you know, you're still stuffing up now because <laughs> yeah. you, you feel like with sport, it highlights the fact that you, I don't know what I'm doing as a parent, right? Yeah. I've got no clues. I'm trying my hardest. Yeah. But the fact is there's no rule book. There's no instruction no. manual. I don't know no. what I'm doing. I look back at how I was parented and what bits yeah. messed me up and what bits didn't, what yeah. worked and what didn't. So sport really shines a spotlight on parenting and we (laughs) panic, don't we? Uh, It's certainly kind of like, look at that underneath this spotlight. And I I think at times, you know, because I end up at a lot of junior sports again now, it's like the clock's gone all the way back again. Um, And, you know, I am surprised um, with some of the um, poor behaviour of certain grown-ups. And then I'm thinking, so one of the key ways that our kids learn how to be a growing up is by the modelling of the adults around them. So great if you're a wonderful, calm parent who gives broccoli every night and never loses it. But at the end of the day, you may be able to do that kind of like most of the time at home, but they're sitting on a sideline watching a whole bunch of growing ups yelling abuse. They're going, that's, that's changing the way they perceive how I'm going to be an adult without us even wanting it. So... One of the big ones I keep saying to parents is have these conversations around the dining table, if you can, around, I just wish that that wasn't happening. But you know what? It's not going to happen from your mum or your dad or whoever you're co-parenting with because we're going to be the responsible parent and we can only be us. (laughs) That's exactly right. We can only do what we can do. Put the phone down and for goodness sake, eyeball them. Eyeball (laughs) them when they kick kick that damn soccer ball because they look around great you've got a you've got a video on it if you weren't on insta and it's up in the cloud with nine thousand seven hundred million <laughs> other images that you also didn't get because you were capturing it so the gift of being present yes. is the one i think today parents are struggling yeah. with a great lot advice maggie den it's always wonderful to get your advice thank you so much <laughs> thank you yes. let's end with john and john i think we might have something to learn from i guess the techniques that you use as a kid's coach what do you do Oh, so so I am I'm a coach as well as a technical director in football soccer, and also involved with football Australia. And so I, I tell the parents and children at the start of the season that if they continue to parents from the sideline uh, coach or abuse uh, referees uh, or misbehave, that I will bench their children, and then the children uh, and the parents can have a chat on the drive home. And so so that nips in the bud very soon. And and to some extent, when I sub a uh, typically, I coach girls. Uh, sometimes the parents think because they've been misbehaving, they've been found out. But typically, I'm just rotating. So, it, have right? you ever so had to bench a kid because the parent has been misbehaving? 
I haven't. Uh, I, I took this rule on a few years ago, and I informed the parents, and then, uh, and I think that threat itself uh, has done the trick, right? It's, it's so, setting that standard, <laughs> isn't it? Whether it's a threat or not, it sets a standard early on. Absolutely. I, John, there's probably a lot of kids coaches out there right about now that have just written down that little technique. It's a good tip. And by the way, I coached basketball once. I know nothing about basketball. I sat there very quietly, um, understanding I knew nothing. One of the parents abused the ref and the ref comes up and says, any more of that, you'll be kicked out. I said, what? Why me? That's the rule. You, you know, two pieces of abuse and the, the coach gets ejected. So I almost got ejected from a basketball game without, the parents. Say, without saying a word. Yeah. Wow. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. Take care and we'll speak to you soon.